With perspective, we get to see issues, problems, solutions, and thoughts in a different light. A problem might end up seeming bigger or small. With perspective, the solutions might end up being infinite or limited. Chemshabongo is a podcast that seeks to trigger a change in how you perceive things, how you react to events, and how you approach things that you do. We do this by hosting a number of voices, presenting their different perspectives. For the last part of the show, we'll be having an excerpt of Not Here to Huru, read by Obi Obiero Diambo. By the end of this episode, we hope that you find more power in what is behind your eyes and stop focusing solely on what is in front of them. This is Chimshabongo. The Supreme Court ruling on the Building Bridges Initiative, better known as BBI, has been appropriated as a loss or victory to the two political polarities in the country. One commentator even suggested that it's a victory to the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, IEBC. How paternalistic can this be? The tragedy of this ruling is that the winner in the contest does not even seem to know they are the winners. Four out of the seven issues reaffirm that the ordinary Kenyan citizen emerged victorious. The first one, the court reminded citizens that our constitution was made by us, for us, and there is nothing like the basic structure doctrine that takes away our power to amend the document when we need to. It is not like the constitution was brought down from a mountain in tablets of stone. Secondly, the Supreme Court affirmed that the president could not usurp the power and role of the ordinary citizen. For after conferring the trappings of power and authority, the person of the president cannot again come and crowd us out of our ordinary people's space and try and drive a popular or people-driven process, Mr. President. You cannot have your cake and eat it. You are not an ordinary citizen unless you give up all the trappings of power. Number three, the BBI bill was ruled unconstitutional because of no public participation. Public participation. We, the public, must stop agonizing and organize for greater public participation and take control of the governance issues in the country. This means the ordinary citizen is not only sovereign, but central in governance processes and not the political class who always seem to hijack the agenda. Number four, the Supreme Court stated that president cannot be sued in discharge of his duty. And this must have made those who believe in that very happy. However, it asserts two important points. The president must act in the interest of the citizenry while discharging his duty. The second important point is that the president cannot throw his hands in the air and ask us, what do you want me to do when it comes to the discharge of his duty? Mr. President, anything you do, which is in our interest, you cannot be sued or you cannot be faulted for doing. So when it comes to insecurity, when it comes to corruption, when it comes to nepotism, do something, Mr. President.
when the figures for our urbanization rates are cited, it's often in passing, and the very significant implication is lost in the mix. But this much is true. Soon, and very soon, most of the population of Kenya, as in many other countries in the world, will be living in urban areas. The current balance between rural and urban populations will be reversed, and from then on, Kenya will be an urban-majority country. Our future is urban, and there is hardly anything we can do about that now. This is not bad news at all. The possibilities that are opened up by urban raving are enormous, and it has been pointed out that no country has ever become a high-per-capita income country without having an urban majority. To get there, however, we have to climb a steep learning curve on making urbanization a positive life force. In short, we must very quickly learn how to build better towns and cities. But what constitutes quality in a town or a city? Cities are centers of commerce, but they are much more than that. We go to towns for better prospects of career development, to pick up education, and to indulge in a life with variety and excitement. Cities are centers of running, of politics and culture. They are the embodiment of human progress, full of technology and fashion, art and knowledge. Well-organized cities give us opportunity to tap into this dimension and interact with fellow citizens. This is one of the most important lessons we have to learn. For our cities to deliver on their potential, we must understand the nature of infrastructure that we need to bring forth. Especially important is the social infrastructure that will allow us to meet together and exchange experiences. We have to bring forth organizations that will make sure that culture events happen, that communication about what is happening is generated, and that the citizens can lead their city and understand what offerings are available. Da Williams, in her book, What I Found in a Thousand Towns, speaks about three critical qualities that make cities develop positive proximity or positive relationship between people. First, is spaces that maximize the number of good interactions in a town. We learn here the value of coffee houses, but we also learn the value of libraries or social halls and parks. Second are projects that build a town's identity. These are social events, cultural events which help a town develop an identity. These kind of events bring out the creativity that is within the community and allows for stars to emerge. We may learn here the value of creating festivals in the town, trade fairs, cultural competitions, which all serve to encourage collaboration and exposure of sometimes hidden talents. The third of these qualities is a little more elusive. The cited author calls it translation. These are acts of communication that inform the rest of the world what is happening in the town. One aspect of this is how we invite the world to a particular town, not least through signage and circulation paths. We need to make our towns worthy destinations and we must issue the invitations clearly. To quote the author again, when towns have any of all of these components of spaces, identity building projects, and translation, they grow. They become 
more self-determining and they thrive. End of quote. I have no doubt that these lessons apply to our situation and we must understand how to apply them to manage our accelerating urbanization. And now for this week's excerpt of Not Here to Huru, read by Obi Obiero Diambo. Not Yet Uhuru, an autobiography of Jaramogi Ogiga Odinga, Chapter 1, At the Feet of the Village Elders. Among the Luo of central Nyanza, the forecasters had said of the white people, if you touch them, the skin will remain in your hands because they are very soft, but they will come with thunderstorms and they will burn the people. Omuoda Logo was the chief elder of my village, and he told me he had seen these people, some of whom were as white as snow, some as red as fire, and that they had an instrument that harbored the thunder, and that hit from afar. When these people first came, the story goes, the elders had warned that we should never, never try to fight them because their weapons were better than ours. They would be intent on devouring our land and our wealth, but we should be wary of them. If they asked for cooking flour, we should give it. We should give whatever they requested, even animals, but we should study their lives and their minds to know exactly what they wanted. We should never fight them, but we knew that when we had studied them, our children would probably be able to get rid of them. Not that we saw many whites. The first white man I saw was the missionary Archdeacon Owen. This was the time of the plague outbreak. The children of our village were taken to be inoculated. We were very frightened, for we thought we might die. We allowed the Archdeacon only to touch us, and then ran home as fast as we could. We were lucky we did not catch the plague, for that year it claimed many of our relatives and neighbors. The villagers were told that to stop the plague, we should trap the rats, cut off the tails, and send them to the chief's baraza. From there, I learned later, the rats' tails were bundled in tents and sent to Kisumu headquarters. On the walls of the commissioner's office hung charts of the monthly rat returns. It was in these years that the government started to collect taxes from our people. Taxes and the orders to produce rat tails have always been associated together as the arm of government reaching out to our villages. When the time came to take a register of taxpayers, government clerks were sent to the villages. Our mothers had news of the approach of these awesome strangers and they hid the children in the bush and brought us food there. We children were curious and we crept out to gaze secretly at the encroachers. We watched them take a papyrus reed from the roof of each hut and cut it neatly in two. When the reeds were tied in neat bundles, they represented the registration of that boma. One bundle was given to the elder for him to take to the chief's baraza when he paid in the taxes. The other set of bundles was taken away by the clerks as a tally of the taxpayers of the area, a sort of carbon copy of the registration. The clerks who came with the whites for the tax registration were not people of our tribe. They spoke Swahili, and we called them 
Okoche. We connected whites and government with five main things. There were the inoculations against the plague from which the children ran in fear. There were the tax collections. There was the order to the villagers to work on the roads. There were clothes, kanzu, the long robes copied from the Arab garb at the coast, given free to the chiefs and elders to wear to encourage others in the tribe to clothe themselves in modern dress. There were the schools, which came later, and to which in the beginning only orphans, foster children, poor nieces and nephews, and never the favorite sons were sent, for the villagers distrusted the pressure on them to send their children out of the home and away from herding the animals. The more alert objected to the way the Christian missions taught this custom of yours is bad and this ours is good. For they could see that the children at the missions would grow up to despise Luoways. One year, there were instructions that we should go to the chief's camp to be vaccinated against smallpox. The district commissioner was to be there that day and I was curious to see him. For I thought I'd seen my first white in the person of Archdeacon Owen. It had been a fleeting encounter. A friend and I went towards the chief's camp, hoping for a close-up view of the white commissioner. But as we approached, a headman caught us and took us by force to the vaccination center. Listen to Chimsha Bongo on our website, acute.co.ke. Chemsha Bongo is an acute media production.